Welcome to episode 5 of the Ikibi podcast. In this episode, we have with us Nidhi Sunil, a model, actress and activist. She actively uses her platform to talk about colorism as well as genderside as part of an organization called the Invisible Girl Project. In this episode, Nidhi and I speak about her journey and experiences of being a model and actress in India and in New York, and the courage with which she persisted through the difficulties of discrimination based on skin tone and how she stands up for herself in various situations. We also talk about the power of representation and lack of that still exists in our society. There are many cultural and systemic changes that need to take place for us to have a more equal and just society. And people like Nidhi are leading that progress with us. Thank you, Nidhi, so much for joining us. I am excited to have this conversation with you and look forward to sharing your story. I'm going to dive right into, um, you know, the deep conversation that we're going to have. Uh, my first question to you is, so the problem of colorism is one that has been rampant across cultures. Um, and with the popularity of social media, we get to experience it more immediately and from all sides. How did you cope with the difficulties and discrimination that you faced in the industry? I want to say that I grew up with it, though. So even, even before I joined the industry in India, you sort of confronted all the time um, in your family, in your immediate environments, you know, your, your aunties and uh, your grandmoms and things like that, because there's this like narrative that, um, um, that you want to be, you know, your, you want your children or your nieces or whatever to be fair skinned so that they can be considered beautiful or, or it's some kind of um, sort this weird like um, what's the word I'm looking for a sort of prized um, possession I'm not even sure why so it's kind of like drummed into you when you're when you start kind of blooming into like an adolescent, you know, it's like don't grow out into the sun. And um, my mom would, I used to be a swimmer. So my mom would get, um, you know, like uh, scolded or remarks like that, you know, my skin would get um, destroyed by how many hours I spend in the sun swimming and things like that. So it's just something that I, you know, I just considered you as um passe really like when you're a child that you're you're pretty if you're a fair girl or like you know when you're in fifth grade and you have like your school annual day and the fair girl gets cast as snow white or whatever i i played one of the seven dwarves <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> and my dad was really upset he's like why did you play snow white i was like it wasn't up to me <laughs> um but um and then you know you start thinking about it as you you know grow older and I, I feel like being confronted with it in this in this way where it affected my livelihood just made me um question it and vocalize the problem of it more because now it directly affected me like being in the industry and being told that uh, I was an aspirational looking or whatever and I wouldn't be able to make money and I wouldn't be a money girl or whatever that was difficult because 
it meant like I didn't have um you know source like I I it, it like affected my source of income really so then I had to talk about it um so it's insidious you know I I think in India we 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 face it as kids so um yeah it's just something that I it's just something that I had a very long time to mull and think over so it had ripened yeah. by the time I faced it when I came into the industry yeah. yeah. So I mean I I think we all kind of know it's safe to say that we all know why people think that or why especially in India we think that fair skin is better and all of that but how did you prior to you know getting into the industry how did you deal with that personally um was it what did you have some kind of you know how did you cope with it Honestly it was just really up and down I feel like you could ask this question of any Indian girl and like there won't really be like a solid answer because what do you do you know you're you're kind of like it's just tradition almost it's just something that it's just one of those other things that you absorb as a child it's kind of traumatizing you don't realize it's traumatizing because as a kid you're just so um re- resilient and you just move on with your life and then you only realize how wrong so many of those narratives were after you grow up and go out into the world and how it affects how you know adults navigate in the real world the fact that these narratives even exist but you grow up like looking at advertisements where you know you have fair and lovely you have like national advertisements that Frankly I'm just amazed that they're even like like a like legal where you have like a <laughs> like a dark girl refusing all, like everyone refusing a dark girl all job offers and suddenly she gets age shaped lighter and like she has like every job opportunity that one that you could possibly wish for or you have like um you know like a whatever a boy's family coming to see her and like everyone rejects her until she gets fair skin like how is this playing on national tv you know exactly. and how is this so like run of the mill in our like social narrative but um i don't know like you just grow up and then you well now you start questioning it so you know there's there's narratives like this in all of our social structures not just i mean in in india this is one of the problems in america there's like a whole bunch of other issues so you know it's nice to i i i hate social media like i have a love hate relationship with social media but i i feel like this this is one of the things that it allows and one of the reasons i like it is communication where people where communities come together and they address things that they've been through and they suddenly realize they're not alone so there's actual conversation happening where whereas before people felt like they were isolated in their uh, experiences you know so yeah i think that's the biggest bonus we have with social media is just creating awareness and building communities where you can actually speak openly about these things of course there's a lot yeah. of like hate that there is on social media but that's something i guess you can't really avoid um yeah how did did you were you ever influenced by these aunties um you know when they said that you were not really um yeah i mean ideal, you have like unquote. your yeah you have your days where you feel really terrible you know um you know the, it feels you're you know you go through these phases of like like body dysmorphia i feel like is not something that's um that's uh you know like it's not just people who are big or people who have 
like def- like I feel like it affects all girls. It doesn't matter if you're pretty. It doesn't even matter if you're fair skinned or you fit all the bills. Like you still have somebody will say something that will make you look at yourself in the mirror and make you feel like you're not enough. And it's something that I think is like all of our personal journeys. Like we all go through um, feeling kind of not worthwhile for whatever reason, whatever our experiences are. And, you know, it's uh, it's entirely up to you to get out and come out on the other side, which is really hard, honestly, when you're like 13 or 14 or 15 yeah. or 16. Um, but, you know, you I, I had a very questioning mind um, because, which was very annoying, I think, to a lot of my elders. But I, it was always like, but why? Like, my questions were always, but why? Because um, I guess I had a sports background and I I was an athlete. So, like, I, I think I was kind of saved from being uh, sexualized as an adolescent because I think that happens to girls, too, like, when you hit 13, 14, there's this kind of like um, um, sexualization that happens where you're, you know, in some, in some households or families where uh, you're like, oh, now you're, now you have, now you're, now you have your period, you have to dress differently, or you have to act differently, or you can't play with the boys anymore, whatever, you know what I mean? So I was kind of saved from that. Um, And I was allowed to be like a kid for a little bit, little bit longer. So I wasn't really trying to see if my hair looked nice or if my skin looked nice or whatever like it was still annoying to like do that those kind of feminine self-care things that uh, are imposed on girls pretty early in 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 India so um yeah I, I think I just questioned it a lot I just had a very questioning mentality towards why that is the status quo and how does it matter if I have freckles or how does it matter I have dark skin or whatever and I think my mom protected me from it because she is a very dark-skinned lady and she confronted more of it when she was younger so um, I think she wanted to protect me and my sister her daughters from it so she um, she would constantly reinforce that um, our skin color was amazing and beautiful because she's Malayali and she's from Kerala so she's very dark as well so yeah 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 that Can you helps. tell tell us a little bit about, you know, your childhood and your, if that ever led you to becoming a model? Like, did you always want to be a, a model? Um, and also a little bit about your career and your experience so far and how you came to be the first Indian model global ambassador for L'Oreal. Um, it's just, it's been a really long journey. Um, I didn't think I would be a model because I grew up in Bangalore and um, between Bangalore and Cochin and my mom's side of the family is Malayali my dad's side of the family is Kanadiga and everybody's uh, you know my parents are both doctors and my grandfather's an engineer so it's very like a we're very obviously um, service oriented as a family and um, it wasn't something that anybody was happy about my doing uh, I got into it accidentally I was studying in Pune in symbiosis and I was in law school and um Simbi Pune is one of those places where you just have a whole bunch of kids studying a lot of you know other things like there's a lot of universities so some of my friends are studying media and things like that so I was helping a friend of mine who was working um in production like location scout in Bangalore and I kind of I essentially ended up on, you know, Get Gorgeous or whatever, the model hunt. And I ended oh, up uh, signing a contract with Elite. It was very, it was very bizarre. And the only reason my parents, I mean, I, I come from pretty, like a pretty middle class uh, South Indian background. So my parents 
try to try to think that they were a little more liberal than other you know parents in the same whatever and uh they were like well you can do it in your semester vacations in between like going to school or whatever so i would just go to bombay sometimes when i had breaks in between my semesters and just you know do some castings but that was when i you know it was very interesting because that was when i got sort of acquainted like in little doses to how bad it was in the fashion industry because i'd have <laughs> to like go and uh <laughs> go and do like these horrible horrible auditions in like yeah the things that i've done like i really like got like uh you know in oshivara and versova i don't know in bombay like these really terrible like auditions for tv commercials and they didn't even want me there i don't even understand why <laughs> i was sent there but there was like no nothing else going on in bombay at the time you know like i feel like the industry has grown too with mm-hmm. with uh, me like the opportunities in bombay and the brands that exist in bombay and the kind of casting uh that's happening and also casting directors there's just so much more going on now Um, mm-hmm. even when i when i just left i left in 2016 mm-hmm. um it had grown so much but when i st- when i was starting in 2012 like all the girls who were dark skinned and who were somewhat tall were 5 nine they they just did runway they didn't do they didn't even bother with casting for tv commercials or print work because they just it wasn't their market and we had such a you know we had this um Uh, this influx of brazilian girls and south african girls and things like that which i think is great because i think as a in a in a model market you should have girls from all over the world or whatever but we specifically right. had girls who were like kind of indian looking but but not indian looking so it was like this aspirational indian look like you have like fair skin and uh, <laughs> olive skin and green eyes and you know like you it was really funny because they didn't even know how, like i Like the running joke in my job is that I, like sorry cataloging were the last jobs I ever booked because <laughs> because they didn't want Indian girls wearing saris like you know like the clients from Surat they're like no no we can't have an Indian girl wearing like our saris because like our clients won't want them but you're like oh. aren't your clients like oh, Indian <laughs> you know <laughs> because they prefer like Brazilian girls wearing saris you know like somehow that sold better or whatever. But um no I didn't think that I'd ever get into modeling. It was just something that happened and it was something that was interesting to me. Um I was I was always doing creative things uh when I was studying in law school I was always do- making short films with FDII which was they were our neighbors in Pune and um uh when when the when this happened it was just something that I I thought was interesting and also nobody in my family had ever had any background or experience or network so it was just something that was my own which I liked um so what so, was the yeah. one job that kind of changed things for you or changed your the, the the one job that changed things for me was um shooting an editorial with uh, Marie Claire Mm-hmm. So uh I remember because I'm not very tall either and I remember I was doing um I just love being on set and I love the process of bringing like a, like um something that starts off as an idea to fruition you know and being a part of that whole process that's how I see my job mm-hmm. um so I'd always I've been doing test shoots with, and I still do test shoots honestly I still shoot for free with new photographers and creators because it's just fun honestly um and i'd been doing a lot of those and i remember one of the photographers that i'd worked with um was was booked on a real you know editorial shoot 
um, and the model didn't show up and they wanted someone who was specifically five, nine or taller. And the photographer just insisted that um, they book me because he knew that I was free that day and I wasn't doing anything. And their, the model that they had originally booked hadn't shown up and he, he refused to shoot her because even if she did show up after because he was like well that's really unprofessional and he, mm -hmm. we must call you know Nidhi and um after and I was really hard for me to break into editorial work because I remember at the time and it's also such a small click honestly you don't realize how small Bombay is until you actually start working in Bombay and, um at the time I remember the stylist was just like she's so great looking but she's she's too petite like you know five seven isn't going to work for editorial shoots and things like that and then after I shot that editorial I just started working a lot more and then I was on the then I did the cover of L and then I did the cover of Dacia and things like that and then people weren't questioning if I could shoot editorial anymore but it was mm -hmm. but shoot, like breaking into commercial work was still a process but it was nice to break into one part of it because there's like multiple parts of the business that you want to you know be included you want to do runway and you want to do editorial and you want to do commercial print and video so those are all you know those are all different completely different clients and different casting directors and what what has the last couple of years been like for you in New York and and did did something particularly lead you to to L'Oreal or was it um, that you know the basically the last how many ever years you've been in the industry kind of just led up to it um I think there's just you know it's really interesting now that I think about my career in hindsight I feel like the questions I were I was asking 10 years ago are questions that obviously people were asking in isolated ways in different parts of the industry because the questions I was asking was about casting and was about representation when mm -hmm. I started because it was like why is a Brazilian girl who does not know how to wear a sari clearly uncomfortable in this garment and it's not her traditional garment shooting a sari catalog yeah um and why is that you know why 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 is that aspirational to that you know the lower middle class Indian client as opposed to an Indian girl that looks like them wearing this uh garment you know and these are things that I didn't realize um you know in in it's 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 really funny how that happens these are things I didn't realize were being kind of asked everywhere um and my 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 path sort of coincided with these questions. Like I, my career grew um, it, with, you know, in tandem with these questions being asked all over in all, in all the markets. So mm -hmm. I think that was this kind of like, for two, like the serendipitous, like needing of um, circumstance. I think they were looking for some, someone, I wasn't the only person that they were considering, but they were looking for someone that kind of um, fit a lot of uh, criteria. And mm -hmm. there was there were obviously interviews and meetings and they wanted to see all the work I'd done over the years. Um, but more specifically, they also wanted somebody who wasn't just, um, a, you know, a face and wasn't just yeah. shooting as a model, like who had other interests and who cared and things like that. And uh, also was articulate. I think that was um, something that they were very um, keen on. So everything sort of just fell into place and the timing was right as well for, you know, uh, the world um, in general, because I think because of social media, there's just been this rapid um, uh, realization, even for brands that, you know, people, people want to be, people want to see themselves, first of all, which is representation in, you know, yeah. in, on, on a platform, like they want to feel, um, they want to feel like it's relatable.
they don't want to feel excluded anymore. And also, um, you know, somebody that was kind of approachable too. So it just kind of all fell into place. Like I had multiple meetings with them in Paris. I flew from New York um, to, to France and um, they'd seen my work with the Invisible Girl Project and they'd seen all the work I'd done over the years. And they were, then they realized I was obviously like my profile that I was South Indian and I'd always talked about colorism and I'd always uh, questioned it within, you know, my, my job. So it just kind of fell into place. So amazing. So amazing. Congratulations, because I think it really puts us on the map in yeah. such a different way. Um, something that is so required because we're, we've been living with stereotypes for the longest of times. And I think it's time we have this representation internationally. Um, so that's yeah. really huge. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. It's pretty wild. I don't real. I, I don't think I realized how big it was when it happened, because for me, it was like, um, like, a, it's such a gradual growth, honestly, because mm-hmm. obviously, like, I'm not like a, you know, Bollywood celebrity or an A-lister. So it's like, there's people who there are people who know who I am, because they follow, you know, the fashion circuit in India or whatever. But in general, like, for a lot of people, it's it's like who's this person <laughs> you yeah. know and um and it's really it's really interesting because for me it's been like 10 years of like work, work. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so it hasn't been like overnight like it's not like I moved to New York <laughs> and was like okay yeah. <laughs> like we're signing this contract so yeah so so what has it been like for you you moved you said you moved in 2016 what has the what has work been like for you in New York as compared to, say, Bombay? Um, I feel like I feel like all all markets and all cities where you have this uh, fashion industry has its own, you know, kind of set of challenges. Like it was challenging to come out here in 2016. Obviously, I had a contract before I came because I had to have a work visa before I could come and work here specifically so I was signed with Philomena before I moved here um and there's a different set of challenges you know the challenges were of course my the hype thing and um over here it was always like there's a little there's a tiny little quota for anyone that's uh, ethnic that's not white essentially when you're casting mm-hmm. so um and I, and I don't mean that I don't mean that as a skin color thing. I mean, it as like literally a cultural representation thing. So it's like, there'd be, there'd be like 60 slots open for runway or whatever. And there's like one slot open oh. for a brown girl, not necessarily like Indian even, just like ethnically ambiguous brown looking person, you know, things like that. And like maybe three casting slots open for like um, Asian. And even they have their own, you know, problems with casting because it's like you're not the same if you're Korean and Chinese and whatever you know and so there are a lot of like um there there were a lot of cultural kind of um there was a lot of ignorance to combat um so there's that and um also just having to obviously live in uh, New York and be able to um you know have like a source of income in New York because you need to make you need to be making money and booking work in order to live here. And I don't have like um, 
uh, you know, I don't, I don't have like a um, trust fund to like tide me <laughs> over until that happens. So, um, so there was that. Um, it's just been, it's been a lot. It's been a lot of pushing. Like, um, like I think my whole career has been like pushing gatekeepers to open doors. That's mm-hmm. it. Like that's how. If if I had to sum up all the ten years of, of work that I that I've done, it would be just pushing gatekeepers to open doors because there's no need to have so many strict rules it's beauty you know beauty is a and being like for me I seem being a model being a muse and being a source of inspiration and being someone who gets to be part of this like creative process there's no need to have so many rules with regards to these kind you know so many rules and structures with regards to you know beauty because it's like you know body diversity is a real thing and you know, cultural diversity is a real thing. Like, there's no need to have such a small, narrow uh, window. Um, my law school background helped my my ability to articulate, you know, mm-hmm. a lot. Um, but there was also a point where you grow up as a human being, you know, like you're still very much a child in your 20s, like when you go into industry, which is already considered, you're already considered old when you start working in the industry in your 20s. Like you're supposed to start at 16. So there's oh. also the question of age. You know, there's also the question of ageism in this business. That was one of the one of the um, narratives that I confronted. But there's this point where you're like, you know, you don't need to be um, voiceless as a talent. Like you can ask questions of casting directors or people who are making these decisions as to why it is that they're making these so-called decisions that they're making. Like, is it just something that they're used to or is it something... Because there's always this like, but that's not what the demographic wants or whatever. Are you sure about that? You know what I mean? Yeah. So there was a point where I started just becoming more involved in the process just by putting myself and my voice out there and asking questions. Like every time I was on set or every time I was working with a photographer, or every time I was working with someone. Because I think um, you're like seeding ideas and it goes a long way. Like, And of course, now you can seed it just on your social media platform. But before that, you know. You yeah. Have to talk to people. Yeah. I think that's such a valuable um you know way of dealing with this of uh, just asking questions and we all in some way I mean there's so much discrimination whether there's whether, whether it's colorism, caste, religion, gender, um class yeah. even. Um and it yeah. feels really really challenging and hurtful to to so many of us. Yeah. How do you think, you know, with so much that's going on, how do you think we can persist and stand up uh, for ourselves when we have to, you know, and make these choices at this at such a time? I mean, it's really um, it's really an individual journey. And I think that I've only obviously I've scratched a little surface. And in so many ways, I'm so much more privileged than so many other people that are dealing with so much more um it's like I I've never had to deal with caste issues for instance like literal caste issues I have a friend of mine who comes from um schedule cast or whatever and some of the things that she has experienced um is just horrific honestly it's mm-hmm. just so brutal and so ignorant and horrific and her journey is entirely different from mine and I couldn't I I couldn't even begin to understand what that must be like and there has to be for me anyway and it was hurtful for me too so 
when I was going through my process, it was really painful for me because essentially I was combating a question of um, self-worth um, based around these ideas that were telling me that I don't have value. Um, I don't inherently have value because I don't fit a box. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially such a personal journey because you kind of have to decide that it's wrong. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like maybe you have to be delusionally self-confident. I mean, <laughs> there's that. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, what was I thinking? I moved to New York. Like, what was I thinking? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But um. Yeah, I think the type like, of person that you are definitely plays a role, uh, which is getting through a lot for sure. Yeah, because there has to be like a point in your life where you have this this turning point where you're like, fuck what, any, what anybody else says and fuck what the construct is. You know, this is some bullshit. This makes no sense. And um, none of this has any uh, inherent connection to how much I can how much value I can bring so socially or how creative I am or how much I can contribute like I you know I even I confronted the oh your model you can't act and it's just like it's such it's so random and it's so exhausting honestly and it has no basis in truth and there has to be um a process of like um self like you have to have these conversations with yourself like self inquiry and you're like oh you know what like none of this matters not really mm-hmm. but there's people who think that it matters and um they have no idea why they think it matters like so I'm just going to ask them why and then make them question um you know why they have the you know specific way of thinking that they yeah and I think something it, that you said a little while ago was um you know reaching out because it's social media we have this community um, you know, I think yeah. just reaching out to that community and really sharing experiences goes such a long way. Yeah, it's 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 huge, but it's also so scary. I'm on a social media break. I haven't posted anything in two weeks because it's just really hard to be vulnerable, too. So mm-hmm. it takes a lot of courage. I think it takes a lot of personal courage to be vulnerable. And it takes a lot of um, personal courage to put your experiences out there like that, because sometimes people are just going to make fun of it. And I've seen that happen also. Um, and then there's this whole, you know, this whole battle between how much is too much and mm-hmm. how much is, you know, narcissistic um, and how much is ego driven because you want validation and how much is really sharing because you care and how much is community driven, you know, Correct. there's all of these questions that come up, but I think, um, it's okay to fuck up in the process. I think that's, um, that's what's so scary. Cause you know, you want to constantly, there's always this like idea of like projecting a self image that feels like perfect. And, um, you can't, you, you can't though. Like, it's just not possible. You just have to just do your best. and. Um, sometimes you fuck up. Sometimes people don't understand what you're trying to do. And sometimes people will see you as doing too much and that's okay also. Um, yeah, and I think what the other, the problem with social media also is that they expect you to be perfect. I mean, people yeah. expect you to be perfect. So there's no room for errors. It's like if you, if yeah. you say, for example, are a voice for colorism, and if you do or say something by honest mistake, something wrong, that there's yeah. you can't literally turn back from that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's really, really difficult. That's what's so scary about social media because when you fail, you fail on uh, such a global platform. You can't take it back either. Like somebody's already screenshotted something that you said and things like that. Um, okay. But um, I think it's like I, I definitely think cancel culture needs to go. But there's also like a, I mean, I, I would prefer it if it changed from cancel culture to accountability culture because. I think that it's okay to make people accountable, you know, because I think people say things in ignorance and it's okay to learn from your ignorance and it's okay to also um, have lessons in accountability because too many, I think we've gone very long, we've gone far too long, with especially gatekeepers who don't need to take accountability for their actions, who just kind of like um, allow status, the status quo to continue when they could be making changes and things like that just because of pure ignorance. But um I don't know. It's a work in progress, you know, like, you know, you have a lot of great things coming from the, the outlet and the platform. And then you have all of this stuff. Like it's, yeah. What are you going to do? What progress have you seen ever since you've kind of been in the industry from then to now? Well, I definitely feel like people are, people are questioning their own, um, you know, knowledge. Like I've seen that happen. Like people that would previously um, assume that they're in a position of some sort of influence and power. Therefore, uh, what they think must be, you know, mm-hmm. you know, right. I've seen people constantly questioning um, what they know, which is great because that is that's basically like that's like a little nugget of self inquiry you know you're like am I, am I am i right in thinking because people are afraid of being canceled too so it's it's really great because they're like well you know people they there's a realization that um there's a fear i mean it comes from fear so it's not that great but it's it still helps there's a fear because like people are waiting to pounce on you to make a mistake so that they can mm-hmm. cancel you so now there's this you know uh, oh, you know, are we sure we have it all right? Are we sure that, you know, we're doing the right thing? Are we sure we have the right information and the right perspective, blah, 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 blah. And I know that it's performative, like on a lot of, a lot for a lot of people, it's still performative. But in that process of being performative, you're still getting an education, you mm-hmm. know? And um, because of that, I think that there's just much more, a much better more complex um understanding um of people and cultures and i feel like on some level you know we we have this industry that has this real um opportunity to really be this um microcosm of you know so complex social and cultural narratives all coming together to be like truly representative you know of this global um like social structure that we live in because kind of we're kind of all living out on the internet and we're uh you know we're really connected to each other in this crazy way you know where borders don't really matter you know and you're kind of learning you have access to so much more information than you ever did before and there really is kind of like this layer um especially the younger like um the gen next or whatever like they're really all connected to each other in this way that like we weren't when we were growing up or our parents mm-hmm. weren't when they were growing up you know there's like no borders 
and no barriers. So we really do in the fashion industry, like any any of these industries, like music, fashion, and you know, to be representative of that culture. And it won't happen unless we dig deeper and we truly educate ourselves, you know, about our differences and where people come from and uh, about our ignorance and our privileges and things like that. So, yeah. I yeah, mean. there's definitely so much happening in the world and, and in terms of we are progressing so much, which is exciting. There is a lot more awareness and I hope that, you know, all of this kind yeah. of heads in the right direction. Um yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the changes in the fashion industry. And also I've noticed that people want, well, at least they're beginning to realize that um, casting involves much more than casting a, like, uh, uh, casting a pretty face. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're not a nameless, the person you're casting is not a nameless, faceless person that doesn't exist outside of your campaign anymore. Like right. they have multiple... Um, you know, social media profiles where they're active and they're available to a larger audience. So you want to know who you're casting also. I think that's nice. It has its pros and cons like everything else, but it's nice. Um, yeah, to- it's, a, it's a nice thing to have a whole personality, like casting a whole personality rather than just aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the con, the con in that is also that people are being performative in order to fit this mm-hmm. now pers- new personality box. Um, but I think the opportunity in that is that you you get to sort of, uh, uh, you're allowed to, you're, you're encouraged to explore who you are outside of just your job or just being a model. And it's nice because yeah. it adds to your entire profession. And yeah. that is, I see that as a huge pro because it's nice to be not just a model and it's nice to be not just anything. Um, whereas the narrative, like when I was growing up was like, if you want to be successful, you have to focus on one thing and one thing only and you're allowed to be multidimensional. And you're just like, are you sure about that? Which yeah. is great. So, this yeah. transitions me into my next question, which um, how is the rest of the year looking for you? Any upcoming projects that you will be doing? Well, I'm actually going through huge transitions right now. And, and I'm in the process of um, going through like legal um, pushing and pulling because I want to move on because mm-hmm. um, I've outgrown outgrown my old management agency and I'm moving to new representation. Um, and it's really exciting uh, to um, be moving to someone that's bigger and better. Um, and uh, there's obviously Fashion Week in September around the corner, which will be really interesting uh, how that pans out. Um, but I don't have anything specific because, well, you you can't really have anything specific with my job. Like you don't have a schedule for the whole year. You know, you're not, you wish, but you're not an athlete. Like you don't have like a season where you're like, okay, I'm playing this tournament or this, whatever. Um, yeah. So, so right now, uh, right now, basically, I'm in a in a period of moving from one management from one representation to another representation. So I won't know um, until I actually start working with new management what my year looks like. I'm also looking at like I I just got an agent for film and I'm I'm I started casting because mm-hmm. that's interesting too. Suddenly, there's a lot more opportunity as an actor uh, because you're finally not being cast as an Indian or, or being asked to like have a weird accent. Like <laughs> when you're, 
you know, when you're doing lines and things like that, and you're just like a person and, you know, it's, it's, if your personality fits the bill, which is also really interesting to see, like you're auditioning for the same roles that someone who is maybe white or maybe whatever is auditioning for. Like I auditioned for something where like, um, like a healer, like a kind of like a, kind of like a witch or sorcerer sort of like situation, like a role. And it didn't matter if you were brown or white or yeah. like, you know, you, you could be any, whatever. So that's cool. That's so um, exciting. I mean, that gives so much hope. Yeah. It's really great to be, uh, to have like roles where it's, um, it's not like your race, it's not race oriented. Like you're not being cast for it because you're looking for an Indian character, you know, you're being yeah. cast for it. So audition for a role where I was playing like a half vampire, half <laughs> human, because obviously there's, there's no need, there's no end to how many vampire movies or shows you can have because they will forever be popular. But it was really interesting to be uh, Indian and auditioning for like a half vampire, half human role. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, so fun. We, it's so fun. It's it's fantasy and it's so fun. It's like not something I would have ever uh, pictured us having the opportunity to even cast for like yeah. five six years ago even you know yeah um because because your opportunities were like limited to like who are the Indian directors what like what are they making like yeah. <laughs> so it's great nice nice so fun yeah. I'm looking forward to definitely watching and you know seeing what you what you do yeah it'll be a fun year yeah uh, lovely I'll, so yeah. my last question to you is about the invisible girl project um, can you tell us a little bit more about it and also when you became a part of it and your experience with it? Um, yeah, so I have been working with them since 2017. That's when I first met them. I was introduced to them by a producer in LA um, because they wanted to raise funds um, and use me as a face to raise funds for them. And I really when I got acquainted with them it was it there was it was just so obvious that I had to be a part of the you know organization because I'd actually started off being in the NGO sector before like when I graduated from law school I was in the NGO sec sector for a short while before I like transitioned for uh, into modeling full-time of course at the time I was just taking a year off to model and then seeing how it goes but the rest was history so it was nice to get back into uh, working um an organization that operates principally out of South India. So we're headquartered in Chennai. Mm -hmm. And um, essentially it combats um, gender side in India. Um, it's um, uh, it's registered here 501c3 in America. So we are able to raise funds here and send it to, uh, you know, headquarters, but which is really nice. It helps a lot. It goes a long way to be able to raise funds in dollars. And I principally help with fundraising a lot. Mm -hmm. um, we might have, uh, that's one of the things on the menu actually this year, uh, to have like a, an event, um, you know, uh, charity, uh, like a gala or something, if mm -hmm. COVID permits that, because we don't know, um, for yeah. fundraising. Um, but yeah, it, it combats gender side in India. We're a small organization. We have over 600 girls right now. And essentially we monitor pregnancy in some certain villages that, um, on ground, and, you know, as we get more intel, we expand, but we also need to be able to hire more employees because we only have about six now in Chennai. Mm -hmm. um, 
and monitor pregnancies and also rescue girls um, who are abandoned by their families. Because um, in Chennai, we also work with the Child Welfare Board because Chennai actually has one where, you know, families come and drop off their kids when they know, families who know that there's a Child Welfare Committee that exists, they come and drop off their kids that they don't want, literally, oh. with them. Uh, and we work with them um, to help them um, or we take on some of the girls and um, uh, Rexa, our lawyer in Chennai, she's also um, like educating the police on mm-hmm. some of these issues, I think, like uh, sensitizing the police. Um, so, yeah, like sort of just like all around combating gender side. We recently had a family where we like kind of uh, re-educated the father to to accept his daughter. Um uh, because you know like there's this traditional notion especially in l- rural india like girls are not allowed to go to school or have an education and can't cannot be an earning member so like they're a financial burden obviously which is why uh, female infanticide is so rampant because um they they kind of have to be married off as soon as they turn a certain age and then the daughter's family has to take over the financial burden of funding the expense of the wedding and so essentially mm. you're just seen as somebody that's going to drive their family into financial ruin um but recently yeah recently that was that was a nice uh, story of a um, father sending daughter to school and you know re-educating that perspective in rural India that your daughters um cannot be earning and providing members of the family who can be educated and and also be like I guess sons I hate Mm -hmm. saying that but um so yeah that's that's really what we do um we have girls who are babies to girls who are about 20, 21 now, mm-hmm. um, just thinking of going into university, like college education. But yeah, just combating infanticide, which was really close to my heart because South India and hopefully it will, we will help more girls. But right now it's kind of focused there. Amazing. I think, yeah, we have definitely a long way to go with it. But um, yeah. I really think that, you know, with people like you making a difference vocally on the internet and in person and really creating awareness goes a long way because we need more people like that to just create awareness with whatever it is. Uh, And I think that's something that's really lacking and needs to be done a lot more. Uh, Yeah, so I'm really... um, you know, glad that you're doing what you're doing and it's exciting. Um, I'm really glad you think that. Sometimes I think I I need to be a little bit quieter because I no. feel like I, I do too much. But <laughs> Don't be quiet. You have a lot to say, so just say it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. Yeah, the future is definitely exciting, hopefully. I kind of just want a place where um, there's just place for everyone at the table. You know, mm-hmm. that's it. Really. Yeah. Nice. Like it's not lacking in abundance for yeah. anyone. There's always this feeling where it's like, oh, there's only place for one Indian person at this whatever fashion yeah. show or whatever. <laughs> and you're just like, no, there isn't. Yeah, yeah. 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 Thank That's you, Nidhi, so much. Uh, I'm so glad we had this conversation. Uh, I look forward to all that you're doing and I'm sure that our audience will as well. Uh, so thank you for having this with us. 
If you enjoyed this conversation, don't forget to subscribe to the EKV podcast, a space for discussion on living meaningful and fuller lives each day. The EKV podcast is a property edited and produced by the team at EKV.